Good morning. How y'all doing? I'm a little sad this morning. Uh, I really wanted to see Kentucky lose last night. I was sad, and, and I was feeling bad about that, and I woke up, and I realized it was cold in my home, and it's funny what happens when a furnace goes out, so it's one of those days, you know. Have you ever had one of those days? Yeah. In January, uh, I spoke to uh, a middle school, uh, the student body at a middle school. My daughter's the principal there. She calls me in uh, every year for their leadership conference. I I work cheap for her. Um, Something I've done over the years, a lot of different schools and places. And the gist of the message to the student body was this. I told the students that each of them has the power to make or break someone else's day by how they use or don't use the God-given influence they've been given. It's a sacred trust. I call my talk uh, Murphy's Laws of Leadership, and law number one is this. You are a person of great power and influence. Then I have the students say this with me, and I want you to be 10, your middle schoolers, channel your inner seventh grader, all right, here. I am a person of influence. I am a person of, I'm a person of power. I am a person of power. What I say, what I do, matters. And then I started talking to them, uh, trying to unpack that and some of these other rules of leadership that I have. But I told them a story about reading about a 14-year-old girl who bullied another student to the point that that student took her own life. And on her Facebook page, this girl wrote, Yes, I bullied Rebecca, and she killed herself. But I don't give a... And I tell the students that that story saddened me. This young girl seemed okay with hurting someone so badly that the person felt that the only way out was to take her life. And I looked at them and I said, what a horrible abuse of power and influence. There was no remorse and no sense of personal responsibility. And I went on and said, what further saddened me is that there was a crowd of people who were urging this 14-year-old girl to keep hurting their classmate. They were cheering her on. What a horrible abuse of power and influence. And I was distressed when I realized there was probably a significant number of people who knew that she was bullying her classmate, that weren't okay with it, but did nothing to stop it. And I looked at these kids and I said, what a horrible abuse of power and influence. And then for the next 45 minutes, we unpacked it all. I really believe, this is a real deep commitment of mine, a belief of mine, that human beings, Christian or not, have an obligation to always do the next right thing in the right way with the right attitude. It's kind of a personal mantra of mine. And bad things happen when we don't step up to that responsibility. Now, Holy Week is filled with stories of powerful and influential people 
coming to a fork in the road, needing to decide how they, how, how they will use their God-given power and influence. Holy Week is a story of individual choices, and it's a story of the influence of the crowd on decision-makers. It's a story filled with both bullies and cowards. It's filled with suspect motivations and inspiring determination. As we've already read, and thank Josh for reading this, but uh, Holy Week, Week begins well. The crowds were enthusiastically crying out, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. Jesus, you know, he's being treated like royalty. Palm branches strewn at his feet. Hands raised in greeting and exaltation. Crowds are cheering. Hosanna, they shouted. And there had to be such a sense of great joy that day. And maybe the disciples were able to breathe a deep sigh of relief, thinking perhaps that Jerusalem wasn't going to be so bad after all, because they were worried about going into the place. Because at that moment, it all looks good and it feels good. But we know, right? We know that Holy Week is a roller coaster of drama and intrigue. What starts well ends badly. And one of the most important characters on this up-and-down ride is a man named Pontius Pilate. Pilate came to Judea in about 26 AD. The emperor Tiberius appointed him the prefect of the Roman province there. Uh, And as a Roman prefect, Pontius Pilate was granted the power of a supreme judge. I mean, he he, he he could kill somebody if he wanted to. He could do it. He had all that power and authority. He could order a criminal's execution. His duties included tasks such as tax collection and managing construction projects. But perhaps his most crucial responsibility was making sure that there was law and order the Roman way. Because Rome, more than anything else, wanted peace in the hinterlands. They wanted the tax (laughs) and they wanted peace. One writer said that Pilate is kind of a type of a worldly man or woman who knows what right is and is anxious to do it as far as it can be done without personal sacrifice. (laughs) Pilate flirted with doing the right thing, but gave way once he found his own position was threatened. And then in a dramatic moment, literally and figuratively, that's a hard word to say. See, my bad day is continuing. So, but you're so gracious. You're, you, you laugh at me. Oh, no, you're laughing with me. Okay. And figuratively <laughs> tried to wash his hands of the consequences of his action. Let's, let's, let's take a look at the passage. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to start with everybody on this side of my hand. You're going to read the first slide. And then you're going to read the next slide. All right. And we'll go back and forth like that. So, all right. Go. Very early in the morning, the chief priests,
Now, Matthew adds this to the story, and let's read this all together. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. I want to focus uh, our attention today on what I consider to be probably the saddest phrase in the whole scripture. Or saddest sentence. That's really a phrase. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. So I've been reflecting on that uh, for the past few weeks. I've been realizing how many times I run into situations where people really are lamenting the fact that they have to face down a crowd of some kind or actually be aware of the crowd that's around them. Uh, I was with a friend the other day in a restaurant in the city. And uh, during our conversation, we talked about a wide variety of things. And uh, this isn't a political thing at all. But I asked him, uh, who would he be voting for in the mayoral election? And before he answered, he just kind of looked around like this. <laughs> you know, to, really, to, he wanted to see who was there before he answers, answered. He knew how heated that discussion could get. And I had this hunch that he just didn't want anybody to overhear what he would say because he didn't want to get on the wrong side of the wrong crowd. We can understand that. And by the way, he's, he's going to be voting for a male candidate in Chicago that, whose first name starts with four letters. <laughs> Which is why my wife said, explain that. And that's both of them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> A while back, I was with a group of minister friends, and we were having a deep and beautiful discussion about many prevailing cultural issues. And one said this. He says, I'm grateful that we can talk together in such a safe way and hear the diversity of opinion on these things. I can't talk about this at my church because there's a crowd of people there who would be irate that I haven't made a decision on some of these issues yet. A popular blogger the other day said her crowd, and she'd label them, label them as progressives, can be hard to deal with if you don't buy into their group mindset. We live in an interesting time. We do agree that there's lots of crowds and lots of tribes, right? And many of these tribes and crowds are inhabited by people that have the same name. Did you know this? Anonymous. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, And I find that many of these groups, uh, they are never satisfied with the conversation, but they want to be satisfied. And they want to be pacified. Or else. And it's across the spectrum. Do you agree with me on that? Of course, not all crowds are malignant. You know, some crowds are benign. The crowd on Palm Sunday was festive. Now, who wouldn't wouldn't want to be part of that crowd, right? 
I'm, I'm sure there's people on Palm Saturday, which we celebrated last night here, which was a little awkward. You know, we're saying, what should we do tomorrow? And some people say, well, the Romans are going to flogging at 10. But there's a parade coming into town, <laughs> you know, nude. You know, that was a festive kind of thing. People were waiting for Jesus to come in. It was fun to be part of it. Other crowds are more malignant. The crowd crying for Jesus' life was scary and vicious. And it was camped on Pilate's doorstep. Now, Pilate's decision on that day was predicated upon the belief that he needed to satisfy the crowd. By pacifying the mob, he'd keep the peace. And maybe his thinking went something like this. Hey, what's one Galilean life in the bigger picture of things? You know, if, if, if Jesus is killed, the religious leaders will go home. The noise stop. There's no trouble. Rome doesn't need to get involved. My position isn't threatened. And so he caved. And he just caved in, washed his hands of it in, in a vain attempt. <laughs> Pretty unsuccessful from my point of view. Unsuccessful attempt to remove himself from culpability in a miscarriage of justice. Pilate had power in his hands. He knew what was right. But he chose to save himself instead of doing what was good and honorable. He just didn't want to deal with the crowd. And he satisfied them by sacrificing an innocent man, a man that Pilate did know was innocent. And the crowd, in a moment of, you know, groupthink, Bravado said they would assume the responsibility for the death of Jesus and the release of a murderer named Barabbas. <laughs> sure they would. <laughs> Have you ever played for the crowd? Have you ever had a pilot moment in your life? You ever done something or said something you didn't believe in just to fit in or not stick out? Ever been part of a crowd that's slicing and dicing someone verbally and you willingly fueled the fire by your participation? Have you ever had one of those moments? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Sure you have. I know I have. I've played to the crowd. Those times when I've said whatever (laughs) and just given in to groupthink. Those times I've shut up when I knew I should speak up, but I didn't want to deal with what others might say. Times when I've been absent, when I should have been present, but I just didn't want to face certain people. Those times when I've been fearful of group backlash, so I just didn't make a decision. Those times when I put a pretty spin on things <laughs> in order to look good in front of opinion makers. When in an attempt to find peace. Well, who hasn't gone along with the crowd, right? Who hasn't chosen the path of least resistant? Who hasn't played to the crowd, large and small? So at least for me, I, and, and I can't say this for you, but I can, I can identify with Pilate. I, I really can. I've been there. I've done that. And I think you all know we get what he was doing. Because in all honesty, we've all played the same game, right? Right? We have. 
The game is called Satisfying the Crowd. And even though we know the game and can play it well, it's not the game God wants us to play. We know that. There's times when we just need to walk away from things, right? There is. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, if you go into town and it's just not working, right? Shake the dust off your feet and get out of Dodge. (laughs) But leaving and running, I don't know. Is it the best long-term solution, (laughs) long-term strategy? More often than not, I find God telling me to stay and engage, to be in the middle of it all, to not run from the crowd. The book of Ephesians I was reading this week exhorts us to live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And then find out what pleases the Lord. That's a good word, isn't it? (laughs) Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Think about that and you begin to realize that uh, to do that, that sometimes means getting on the bad side of an ugly crowd. (laughs) Pilate was facing an ugly crowd. I've always wondered what would have happened if Pilate had said no to the crowd, right? Now, obviously, the story would be different, but I think God could have worked with that, don't you? I don't think God says, well, I can't do anything now, (laughs) you know. There's a lot of ramifications if he would have said no to the crowd. He may have ended up losing his job, maybe maybe even his life. That's, That's big. Perhaps the crowd would have gotten bigger and the gulf between Rome and the territory it was occupying would have widened. His bargaining position with the Jews would have narrowed considerably. But I always wonder sometimes when I read stories like Pilate, if he would have said no, at least he could have gone back into his home, gone up to a mirror, looked in the mirror and saw someone looking back at himself that he wanted to look at. His integrity would have been intact. There's something kind of nice about looking at yourself, knowing you did the right thing. And who knows if Pilate would have said, no, I'm not sacrificing Jesus. Maybe Jesus would have looked at him and said, Pilate, you too will this very day be in paradise with me. But we don't know because Pilate only wanted to satisfy the crowd. Now, my guess is even without Pilate's consent, Jesus would have died that day. The crowd wasn't going to be satisfied with anything less. They were on a mission. They were drunk on mob power, which is never very thoughtful or discerning. But when Pilate decided to satisfy the crowd, he chose to look at his predicament and his circumstances And he really failed to see the person in front of him. I think he got a glimpse of Jesus. I mean, I think he he understood on some kind of basic level that something bigger was going on. But he didn't want to explore that any further than he did. He just saw Jesus as a pawn in a political and religious skirmish. 
But what would have happened if you had really had seen Jesus? And then I wonder in this story, what would have happened? Because I'm thinking of that girl at the Facebook thing. What would have happened if there was someone in the crowd or a small group of someones who realized that calling for the murder of Jesus and the release of Barabbas wasn't a smart thing to do? Could someone have stood up and said, no way we can allow this to happen? What if they, what if someone or the, our group could have stood up and say, no way, Barabbas, Barabbas can't go free. He, he, he killed my brother, Samuel. <laughs> he beat your father up. All of you, we know Barabbas from when we were children. He stole our lunch money. This guy has bad character. We don't want him out among us. We know what kind of man he is. This is insane. What are we asking for? But no one did that, did they? Because standing up, speaking out, takes something called courage. And standing up and speaking out in front of a mob, that takes a lot of courage. And too few are up to that task. I want to tell you a story about courage, and it's a story I use with the middle school students. It's a story about a young man named Rod, and Rod was a particular favorite of mine. High school students, 16 years old. I had the opportunity to be with him at a young life camp when he had this deeply profound experience of meeting Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't even tell you how deep this was. And uh, in, in the night, I can still remember the night uh, that it happened, the, the tears and the, the, the crying, the wailing almost uh, that accompanied it. There was, it was just a beautiful process. And when Rod came back, you know, to our, our uh, we lived in Reno at the time, he got involved in the discipleship experience, and he took that very seriously. Rod was on the football team, and uh, and. Uh, one day he came to me and he said, Mike, uh, do you think we as Christians have to stand up when wrong things are done to people? I said, absolutely. I think that's one of our calls. And he says, well, here's my problem. There's a group of guys in our um, football team that uh, think it's kind of fun to date girls on a Friday night and Saturday night and then on Monday come back and tell tales about their conquests. (laughs) He says, I think most of them are lying. (laughs) But at the same time, uh, the girls' reputations are being run through the mud. And he says, I don't think we should be doing that. And I said, what do you think you should do? He says, I think I have to stand up for this. I said, is there anybody else that believes that? He says, yeah, there's a small handful of us. And I said, Rod, I'll be praying for you. Well, he comes back a few days later and he said, uh, well, I did it. I said, what? And he says, I stood up for those girls. I got up in front of the team and I said this, guys, every week I hear you guys talking about people. And you drag, drag them through the mud. You're trying to ruin their reputation. 
And, you know, I, I, I can't abide by that. I don't think it's the right thing to do. And, of course, he got challenged by another crowd, didn't he? And somebody said, well, what are you going to do if we do it? And he says, if you do it, you're going to have to go through me. A few weeks later, I checked in with him again. I saw him periodically before that. But I said, how's it going? He says, the locker room has changed. Nobody's talking about those girls anymore. When I stood out, there was a couple guys that stood beside me. And now there's a whole bunch of guys that are standing with me. They didn't feel comfortable with it. And the guys that were kind of angry, they're just keeping quiet. He says, I'm sure they're dragging people through the mud. They're just not doing it in our presence. Rod stood up. Rod stood up. And he changed the direction that the crowd was taking that locker room. Now, that's a small thing, isn't it? Except if you're one of those girls. But all of a sudden, Rod and his guys took command of that locker room. And it was a big change in that whole team and the direction it was going. It was also a big thing for, for Rod because world got, word got out about what he had done. And he never lacked for a date again. <laughs> Not one moment. Rod was able to say no to a crowd because this is a Stephen Covey statement. He had a deeper yes welling up inside of him. And Rod helped call forth that deeper yes in his teammates. He saw his actions as a risk worth taking. Robert Frost once sent, penned these words, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. The less traveled road, the narrow road, it made the difference. That's what Rod discovered. Band's going to come up, and as they do, I want to just tell you just a bit more. This Friday, Good Friday, I will lay at the cross all those things to keep me from taking the less traveled road. My lack of courage, my desire to fit in, my own inclination to bow to fear and to seek security. And then I will remember a prayer that, that I started Lent with, if you were here on Ash Wednesday. It's from Psalm 31. It says, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. And I believe that faithful God will indeed rescue me and restore me. I want to end this sermon by praying with you and praying with you a prayer by Charles Foucault. We've been doing it throughout Lent periodically. It's a prayer of abandonment. And during this prayer, perhaps we can think of all those things that maybe stirred up during this sermon or stirring up in Lent and saying, what do we need to abandon at the foot of of the cross because this faithful God he wants to rescue you too we read this with me father I abandon myself into your hands 
do with me what you will. Read it one more time. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will.